All right, hello, hello, and welcome to the Rock Metal Podcast. I'm your host, John Harris. On my right-hand side is my right-hand man, Gabriel. The Otanagi is about the... Ontogeny. So today on the Rock Metal Podcast, we have Before and a Pace. In all the years I've known Devin, he wouldn't do things something like that. Um, <laughs> he has a new album called The Denisovan. Denis- Denisovan? The Denisovan, sir. All right, The Denisovan. Which is released on, I have May 11th, is that correct? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Okay, right now I'm being joined by Devin himself. He's going to share some more information about this release and what he's got going on. So, Devin, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks so much for having me. I'm tickled freaking pink to be here. Thank you very much. Oh, that's fantastic. Thank you. I appreciate that. Um, cool. Now, something that Gabriel had mentioned, and I said, you know, in all the years I've known you, Devin, you've never been a simple man. So... Do you mind taking us through these multisyllabic words that you have created and invented in your own language here for the song title? <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, and, and actually, they're all existing words. We didn't make anything up. Um, the album title is called The Denisovan. Um, we have four songs on it. Um, and despite that, we are, we're still calling it a full-length album because it's 52. 52- two plus minutes of music in just those four songs. The first one is called Zeno, uh, spelled Z-E-N-O. The second one is called Limbics. The third is called Ontogeny. And the fourth is called Simultanignosia. And yeah, we, uh, they all have a little bit of meaning, I suppose, thematically. We didn't just open a thesaurus and throw a dart as it, as the titles may suggest we did. Well, that's good. I know death metal bands that do that. They go and they get medical dictionaries and they just pick something out of it and then... <laughs> and then throw, yeah, cow carcass after it or something like that. Yeah, exactly. And then just put a drum machine behind it. I mean, um, a real drummer. <laughs> There's no drum machines at all in death metal. No, well, the whole genre is devoid of them all. Exactly. Well, like, they're they're, yeah, they're purists. Yeah, Cryptopsy is definitely a real drummer thing. You know, I've met some very talented uh, death metal drummers, however, on recording in order to get it to sound the way it does. There's a lot of uh, stuff going on, unless they're really, really, really that good. And I tell you, there aren't many Kevin Talley's in the world. Uh, Okay. It's a disorder of visual attention that leaves a patient's world unglued. That sounds deep. Leaving a patient's world unglued. Scenes and objects are perceived in a peaceful manner. Now, if I go back to the artwork, am I seeing that a little bit? Is is, is what you just read, is that the definition of simultanagnosia by chance? Yes, it is. Okay, uh, I haven't seen that exact definition. Um, if, if you look at the artwork, yes, I think you'll see it. Um, I, don't, I can't comment on how overtly it was put in there. Uh, I didn't create the artwork. Uh, a lovely, amazing artist from Saskatoon, Saskatchewan here did it, uh, named Varia Vinogradova. Um, she's amazing, and we talked to her about some of the themes uh, after we had made the music. We had given her a copy of it, and she kind of took it and went with it. And uh, she, to our knowledge, incorporated a whole bunch of themes. Uh, Simultanagnosia itself <clears throat> excuse me, is, uh, is a notion, it's a psychological disorder that... Um, anyone who has it can perceive elements of something, but they can't recognize the entire thing of it. Uh, so someone might be able to see like a fork and a flower vase and then a water bottle, but they wouldn't be able to put it all together and see that it's a set table 
ready for dinner. You know, um, that's that's the disorder. Um, and and it was it was yeah that that kind of summed up what I wanted to write about in that particular tune. So a sense of being fractured and disparate. And I think Varya did a tremendous job of putting that in the artwork. And and somehow she managed to kind of tie in themes of all four of the songs in this one magnificent piece. So, yeah, for anyone that uh, has never seen our album cover, uh, I suggest going and checking it out. And also suggesting out uh, su- suggest checking out Varya's artwork. Um, I can never pronounce the... Uh, the website, but I think you can get to it from our Facebook page if anyone cares to. And yeah, I suggest checking her workout. She's amazing. A diamond in the rough. Okay. That's Saskatoon in general, baby. You guys are the, the berries of the best pie in the world. Or... <laughs> We'd like to think so. Yeah. For those who don't know, I'm referencing the Saskatoon berry, which is a very uh, Canadian thing. Canadiana. 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 Ooh. We harmonied. We had harmonies there. If only, if only uh, Devin had chimed in, we would have had a three-part harmony. Yeah, just, just like, watched, just like Pinky ta- Malinky. Yeah, we should. We should talk about Pinky Malinky. We should talk about Pinky <laughs> Malinky because you're a dad, so you probably know Pinky Malinky, don't you? You know, I'm new to Pinky Malinky. Uh, Gabriel, what can you tell me about Pinky Malinky? Talk to him about Pinky Malinky, son. <laughs> so he's like a little sausage dude. He's like a little wiener. Check it. I like it already. He's, he's a yeah. He's a hot dog that came alive, and everybody on the show knows he's a hot dog, but they're okay with it. And uh, it, it's sort of a social commentary on teenagers today, how everything has to be filmed and put onto social media and get likes. And uh, for kids who are watching the show, it's probably just melds with their mind, and they think, "Oh, this is a show that gets it." Whereas as a parent, I look at it and I see some level of cynical social commentary i like it yeah i'll have to keep keep my eye out for that one what's the what's preferred age or recommended age group for that i've got a four and a six-year-old there they might like it i don't know if you would like it but they might like it um because i don't know gabriel's is always he found it somehow it's a nickelodeon thing but it's on netflix and the other show that he watches a lot that i don't know if it's actually right for his age because he's six years old but he digs it, is Teen yeah. Titans Go. Okay. Which yeah, I guess I don't watch too much. I'm not too familiar with any of this stuff. But. It's okay. If I had okay. if I had six distressors and three Neve consoles and one Focusrite <laughs> compressor, I would probably not watch TV either. <laughs> Sharp eye, my, my friend. Very astute. <laughs> um, and yeah, I don't have any distressors, so oh. that was a swing and a miss, I'm afraid. What I don't is know that? what you're seeing. That looks like a distressor, but... Um, hmm. Okay. I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong on everything I just said, but it sounded good in the moment. No, the Focusrite, the Neve, uh, what else did you say in there? I, I thought I saw Distressor, the knobs above the Focusrite. Uh, this one or the top one? Uh, they all look about the same. Is it just an EQ? Uh, yeah. yeah, there's a Sontech EQ, and then above that is an Allen Smart compressor. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Intelligent compression. <laughs> smarter than I am, that's for sure. Bing, bang, boom. Is this the studio where all the magic happened for the record? Yes and no. Um, it is. Uh, I recorded it all in this here basement, but this here basement did not look like it currently does back when we made it. Uh, this album is actually super old, uh, despite having been released on May 11th of this year, like literally a handful of weeks ago. Um, 
it was we finished the recording in 2012, mixed it over the next year. Um, there was uh, there was some kind of interpersonal stuff that, uh, that called into question how we were to proceed with it uh, within the band. And just kind of sat and languished for a little while, uh, and it was kind of called into question whether it even come out at all. But um, where was I going with this? Oh, right. To answer the question, the basement, uh, I renovate, finished renovating it six years ago. Uh, so it looks nice now. And back then, it was kind of a half-thrown-together semi-basement suite from the previous owners. Uh, and so we recorded kind of strewn about existing bedrooms and hallways and a half torn apart part kitchen and and uh, living room. So it was made here, but under different circumstances, different environment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. I'm guessing you then commissioned the rest of the work to uh, a studio in Saskatoon. Uh, the mix. Um, my good friend, Christian Douglas uh, is an amazing musician and engineer uh he's now operating out of viscount saskatchewan he's got a cool recording studio it's called the sound castle uh but before he had that place he was at sun temple studios um and that's where um we mixed it i, I went out there for all the sessions uh he did most of the heavy lifting but i was present for each se- uh, session and um chiming in and uh helping kind of see the vision i guess see mm-hmm. it through and then for mastering uh flute at Great Toronto, Ontario, and uh, uh, for a day and a half, I think it was, at Carvalho Mastering. Um, so I was there for that, too, although I did even less knob-twiddling and talking because uh, getting further and further out of my element at that point. Yeah, oh, Joao. Yeah. Joao Carvalho, fan-freaking-tastic. Yeah. Out of all the people in Toronto that could do mm. mastering, why Joao? Um, so I had come across a mix magazine from probably, I don't know, 2004, 2005. Um, and I think it was right around the time that, uh, that Joe Carvalho mastering was, uh, was opening or just renovated. I can't remember Uh, some, some big to do about Joe Carvalho, Carvalho mastering. And, uh, just looked like a gorgeous room. I think it was designed by Martin Pilchner, who's an, uh, an acoustician, uh, world famous for his designs. Um, and it was kind of one of my first like glimpses inside a, a pro mastering studio, although it was just in printed page and, and pictures. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's it's kind of stuck in my my mouth in my mind this whole time. And when it came time to get it mastered, um, I was like, hey, let's hit him up and. Uh, found that uh, Brett Zalehi is one of their resident mastering engineers who has done some other heavy stuff um, and some not-so-heavy stuff, which it was actually the not-so-heavy stuff that appealed to me most. It was I had a bunch of records in my collection from uh, from what he had done, but mostly the non-heavy stuff, and I thought he might have the right touch because we're kind of a blend of both. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, look at there. They got everything here from the Tragically Hip to Silverstein to Alexis on Fire. Yeah, uh, Hawksley Workman, Spheric, um Danko Jones, some really cool stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, that's absolutely fantastic, especially in a day and age where just about anybody thinks they can master now. I'm kind of curious what's going to happen to these mastering houses within the next even five years, never mind ten years, uh, because a lot of things are coming across my desk where the mix engineer just did the mastering job or... 
they sent it off to another mix engineer to do a mastering job. And I was like, well, how come nobody's sending it to a mastering engineer anymore? Well, because so-and-so can do mastering and they did it and it sounded good. Well, okay. Yeah. And some of it does. Um, there's some amazing things being done out of people's well, basements. Um, not, not, I pointed at mine, but I'm not trying to suggest that You're anything that way, amazing ever came out of here per se, but uh, that'll be up to other people to judge. Mm-hmm. Uh, nevertheless, it is an art form, and it is one that I've dabbled in and never really found my footing, and I'm happy to pass it off. And so I've been that you know mixing engineer who's mastered uh, to varying levels of success. And um, although I had designs to, to learn the craft, one can only learn so many crafts in one's life. So, so I, I'm happy to kind of pass it off these days. Mm-hmm. Boom. Okay. Now, you mentioned the space that you're in needed some remodeling. My wife and I are currently house hunting. We're racking our brains. I'm about ready to go. It's all on the trigger, Devin. It's it's a miraculously fun uh, social experiment. Tell us about how you guys ended up in the space that you're in and uh, maybe tell a bit more about what went into making the space that you have there. Wow, great question. Um, I bought this place uh, when I was 26 years old. And uh, I was single at the time, and, and there was a couple, a uh, couple of friends that said that they would, uh, you know, be roommates and help chip in on the expenses. Uh, and it's just, got, I don't know, it went. It, I've been here ever since, and uh, I don't know if there's much more to the story than that. Uh, I guess when I, even when I was 26, like I'm 41 now. This is a long time ago, but uh, when I was 26, I I was house hunting with the idea in mind that the space had to accommodate music and specifically uh, a jam space and a recording studio. Um, so this was, I, I went and saw a whole bunch of places and said that this one had the potential and then uh, took me how many years? Uh, I don't know how many years, but it took me a number of years to actually get started on the renovation, had to do a lot of thinking and planning and learning about the process of building one's own studio. So uh, yeah, I guess that's the story about how I ended up here. Okay. Now, the other thing I wanted to touch on was you mentioned that basically the whole recording started in 2012, which at this point is almost 10 years ago. So uh, it actually, sorry to interrupt, it actually finished in 2012. Whoa. The recording started, uh, I think it was just a year before that, 2011. And the songwriting was itself in an era. It, it took forever to put this thing together. Um, so, yeah, the the band has existed in my brain since I was a teenager, basically. And then uh, early 2000s is when I started putting the lineup together. Uh, sorry, I cut you off, though. You were about to ask uh, an amazingly poignant question. Mm-hmm. I know. But <laughs> thankfully, I'm a very humble young man. And uh, with perspicacity beyond uh, my own realm. But anyway, uh, I was curious... How many people listening in, for example, right now or watching on YouTube have a band that's been living on your hard drive for the last 10 years? <laughs> how many bands are on my hard drive no, and, just, and nowhere else? Just just in general. I mean, how many bands listening in? There's a, a guitar player listening in right now or a singer listening in right now or a drummer listening in right now or watching on YouTube going, man, I've got an album on my hard drive. I see what you're saying. You know, so at what point did you... I don't know, decide to release it and give birth to it rather than, I don't know, let it continue to rot on a hard drive? I guess it's my question. It's kind of an interesting question, I guess. 
Yeah. <laughs> all of my questions are interesting. Amazingly but, so. Thank you. Um, you know what? Uh, one thing I've learned about myself is um, I'm not very good with time in many ways, or at least I think about it differently. And uh, it, it, it kind of started to bother me that, that things weren't progressing to being able to release it. Um, but it didn't bother me so much that I like really kicked myself into, into high gear feeling that urgency. I was like, "Eh, it'll get done. And I I never really felt that it wouldn't get done. Um, like I said, there was some, some stuff within the kind of the membership of the band that called into question how it would proceed. Um, but, uh, hmm, where am I going with this? Uh, It was, I guess, it slowed down the process a bit in terms of like how it would get released, what it'll look like, what format. And those, those things just took time. Um, and yeah, the same, at the same time, juggling family and career in, in, you know, irrespective of music. So I don't have a good answer for you, but for anyone that's listening that has something on their hard drive, um, don't, don't lose faith in yourself and, and, uh, keep chipping away. And and I don't have any great advice to be honest. Um, <laughs> don't uh, let the music die in your heart, man. Yeah, man, I could have said it better that than that. So, yes, John, you said it perfectly. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if I was looking for motivation other than just you know you could have just left it so that it wouldn't be released. But then you went through the necessary steps to get it released. Now you're on my show. Now you're on other people's shows. You're you're doing you're doing the thing, right? Um. So, like, was it like a moment of clarity that you ended up having an, uh, an epiphany of sorts? Where you just uh, your morning coffee and you're like, I gotta do it. And you ran downstairs and for, you, for the first time in 10 years, you're, you're putting the ducks in order. No, no. Uh, there is, epiphanies actually played a big role in the making of it, but um, not to finish it off uh, at any, in any way. Um, the concepts for each track actually kind of began with some sort of personal epiphany that, that I thought was so important to share with the rest of the world that I, I wanted to create songs about them. But, um, that, that's kind of the origin of each song is kind of with an epiphany, but no real epiphany at all happened with getting it finally done. Like I said, it was, it was a matter of chipping away at it. There was processes in getting the artwork done. Um, there was process, there was, some some setbacks in getting the CD design done, even deciding to go with the CD in the first place. Um, we this? were just going to go digital. We, we explored vinyl. Uh, it just all took time. Uh, and, but nowhere along the way did I ever feel that it wouldn't get released. Uh, just a matter of how to do that in the right way. Okay. What's a CD, Devin? A CD? What is a CD? What, it I is a... What <laughs> I'm old, man. Uh, I I still listen to CDs in my in my vehicles. That are two vehicles have CD players, uh, and yeah, <laughs> it stands for compact disc. Okay, uh, and that's how I still refer to albums. Is like they're CDs to me, man. And I'm just showing my age, and that's about it. I know. I do have a Spotify account. What? I finally succumbed to that in Whoa. the last year. Whoa! Carrying it all in the airwaves, yeah. man. Carrying it in the airwaves. <laughs> 
Okay. Yeah, one of the funny things is I was preparing for this interview, and immediately I started copying down the information that I got from uh, the PR person that you hired, which was that it was an album. And then I was doing some further research. I was reminding myself, you know, what it sounds like. Because uh, when I'm when I'm listening, you get like less than 10 seconds of my time. If I think you're good, I invite you on. If I don't, then I move on kind of thing. Um, so I was refreshing myself, getting a little bit deeper into it. And I thought, wait a minute, there's only four songs. Is this really an album? But then I had to look at the time because for a lot of intents and purposes, the time is more important than the amount of tracks. Yeah, in, in my perspective, it is. Um, I... I draw a lot of influence from like the symphonic world. Um, I, I played in a wind orchestra uh, throughout high school and then university for like five years. And that's where I met Arlen, our drummer. Um, so he has that experience too. And like a lot of influence. Sure, this album is heavy, uh, but there's, there's a big symphonic component too. And that's part of the reason there's four tracks and four tracks alone and it amounts to 52 minutes of music. Um, you don't criticize like Brahms for doing the same thing. So, I mean, Hey, I'm going to take safety behind that, that one. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, like especially the, the last song on the album, Simultanic Noja, I think it's just shy of 20 minutes and it's really like four different movements within one piece. So we're, we're not really playing in, in a traditional rock format for a song structure. It's, it's much more like cinematic, cinematic or programmatic, um, and yeah, it led to some long songs cause that's the amount of time it took to explore all the themes that we wanted to. So mm-hmm. that brings me to a couple of other questions since you mentioned, uh, some symphonic stuff. Uh, first one then is, are these then movements more so than like verse chorus sections of a song? Um, only the last song is like that. Like the last song I I wrote with four distinct movements within it. So that 20 minute track is four movements. Uh, the other three are not so much movement based, uh, but nor are they verse chorus, verse chorus, solo based. Um, uh, I guess you could say that there's maybe a verse or two here or there strewn across the album, but um, yeah, we, we definitely didn't follow any formats for song structure when we wrote this stuff. Okay. And then my other one, and this is kind of a crazy question that probably is entirely insignificant, Devin, but because orchestras don't play really to a tempo, at least not the same way rock and pop does. Did you guys do that as well? Or are you guys, you know, kind of to the grid, so to speak? We had that conversation early on and, uh, really the conversation I think began and ended with between me and Arlen, the drummer, um, and I, I just kind of remember saying to him one day, like, hey, man, what do you want to do? Like, do you want to just just wing it or <laughs> or do you want to, like, put it on the grid? And he's like, you know what? I think I prefer it on the grid. So we did. And whereas you said, like, uh, orchestras don't have a tempo, um, they absolutely do because, like, right. that's what a conductor's there for. Um, right. But it is fluid, right? It, yeah. it, it ebbs and flows. Um, and so we took a painstaking amount of time and this is funny cause it's, it's literally like 12 years ago now that we did it. Um, so it's, it's <laughs> very much having to think back on that, but we, we took a long time to do the grid. Everything is to a click track. Um, but the meter changes, the tempo changes, 
there's an absurd amount of them for one, and secondly, it took a while to nail where where it felt right. So it is on the grid. Okay. For and, the I'm, and I'm looking it up, and you can probably tell me a lot more about this. I, I remember think, remembering that uh, orchestra tempos are Italian words, and they have a range. Yes, uh, sir, they do. So allegretto is roughly speaking 98 to 109 beats per minute. So basically, the conductor is having you sway somewhere in between. That's a pretty wide range. It is, it is. And uh, again, like I've had a bit of experience in a wind orchestra setting, and it it varies by day, and it varies with like, you know, how much coffee the conductor probably had that day or how tight his gitch are. You know, like it's uh, very <laughs> subjective. Um <laughs> And and I I, I kind of love that it's it's one thing I also love about live music is that nothing well there's sure there's things that are when people are fed through their headphones live and it's to the grid there uh, but most of the bands that I've listened to live are not on the grid and we try to be attuned to that to to have our grid a living and breathing thing and to seem natural and uh, I think it it came out all right mm-hmm <laughs> you got to make sure you're thoroughly a pace yeah yeah um allegretto is all heck there we go yeah Pesto. <laughs> yeah that means uh quick yeah that means nicely yeah done yeah extremely extremely fast um yeah, it's like 160 to 177 mm-hmm. nice yeah nice. And i mean if you compare that to pop music it's like that's a wide window like you could that changes everything that's crazy. Yeah, um, it's like yeah. 10 times wider than a pop window. But explains also as well why when you're watching an orchestra, you can get so swept up in the movements because if a movement requires you to go a little bit slower, you just do it. And if the next movement requires you to go a little bit faster, you just do it. So I was curious if you guys had approached it that way or if you were like more more the pop orientation, which is not necessarily to the grid, but you know we're 125 beats per minute and that's what we are and... You know, yeah. So, like, although it was to the grid, it was very dynamic. Um, I've never had to deal with such crazy grid structures uh, in all my days of operating Pro Tools. Whoa, that's your problem right there. You have a German (laughs) Shepherd in your toilet. Um. (laughs) My the German Shepherd is pooping in my wood toilet. Oh no! Not Pro Tools jokes. Not today. Oh, that's a, that was a Pro Tools joke? Yeah, that was a Pro Tools joke. And oh, I didn't, yeah, Devin I didn't, didn't like it. He's blushing now. He's I like, but I like it. Pro Tools. <laughs> I didn't get it. I don't know that anybody likes Pro Tools. Some people feel they have to use it. It's like Facebook. Some people are like, no, I have to use it. And other people are like, you got choices, buddy. Yeah, um, I don't use yeah. Pro Tools. <laughs> I don't use it often. Uh, for the record, for those Pro Tools haters, haters out there, um, uh, when Arlen and I started working together, um, there was it was Cubase, um, a very very old like 2001 era version of Cubase and the SL version, like not even a, the Pro version. That's where we started this project: is programming drum beats using using that. So so yeah, dabble. We've dabbled in the Cubase as well for anyone that wants to get on their DAW high horse. Mm-hmm. Well, speaking of which, I'll, I'll get this one in there for the Cubase people who are listening in right now who are like going. Eh. Is Pro Tools has finally caught up to that version of Cubase? <laughs> with, Nicely done, sir. Yep, with folders. <laughs> okay, 
We've chatted about Pinky Malinky, Saskatoon Berries, House Hunting, Orchestral Tempos, and we actually even snuck in uh, some DAW stuff there. We chatted about the artwork. Uh, you mentioned that if we go to your... I, remember, I can't remember if you said website or specifically Facebook that you can find that artist's information for anybody who's curious because she does uh, some phenomenal work. She does. Uh, so yeah, there's kind of three ways to get a hold of us uh, or, or check us out, I guess. Um, I mentioned our Facebook page. It's facebook.com slash B, the letter B, and then the number four, so B4, dot apace, which is A-P-A-C-E. Um, our Facebook page is kind of our biggest social media presence. Um, we also have a website, uh, which is beforeandapace.com. Uh, and we're also on Bandcamp at beforeandapace.bandcamp.com. Um, and yeah, I'm, uh, I'm about to put a post on our Facebook page about uh, the day that we that I was uh, shown the cover art. It's a, it's a beautiful painting uh, and took a snapshot that day. So I'm, I'm going to post something right away here on Facebook about that. And it'll link to Varia's, um, her website for her paintings. And she's amazing. You should check her out. Yeah. Okay. I did not know that, that was a painting that you guys digitized. I thought that she had actually done that in like Illustrator as an example. Yeah. Why? No, it's so many it's, <laughs> um, Yeah, I don't know. It's, uh, we asked for uh, thirty-four colors, and she put thirty-four colors in, and we're just happy with that. Yeah. But uh, really? she uh, she did it all in watercolor, and um, and when we digitized it, it's just like a picture that was taken in uh, in some dude's garage, and. Uh, uh, he took a wonderful picture of it, captured all the colors uh, as they should have been captured, and the painting is now uh, hanging up in my my living room upstairs. So, wow, yeah, beautiful work. She's an amazing artist. Mm-hmm. I agree. Did we miss anything, Devin? Is there anything that you were hoping we would chat about? And you've been sitting uh, just just squirrely the whole time, waiting for me to ask the question, then I didn't. No, uh, my butt cheeks unclenched when we finally got uh, some German Shepherd talk in. So uh, I think I'm good. Yeah, yeah. It's on my so, mind because – go ahead. You were saying sorry? Oh, uh, no, no. You go ahead, please. Okay. Uh, this is a very Canadian conversation. No, no, no. Sorry. What did you say? No, no. Sorry. Excuse me. Um, <laughs> I heard a joke once that the most Canadian moment somebody's ever experienced is when two people bumped into each other in a shopping mall and the person watching said sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've, I've been each of those three people. <laughs> um, we were house hunting and – we walked into this house that uh, somebody had a dog that just wrecked the floor and chewed it up. And we're like looking at the floor. Okay, we'd have to replace that if we if we move in. And then we get to a bedroom that has all this water damage all on the wall. So we're checking the bathroom. Did a pipe burst somewhere. The bathroom looks fine. Uh, we let our real estate agent know. She gets in touch with the owners, comes back. Yeah, it's the dog again. The dog peed so many times so bad that it caused pee damage uh you know on the wall and the floor and then to we connected that because they had one of those signs it's you know i love my german shepherd and i thought you love him so much that you didn't train him yeah <sighs> but you're trained Devin, and that's why you've created this beautiful uh artwork in in sonic uh textures for us well appreciate it very much uh i want to thank you for having me on um really appreciate it so thanks for taking the time to to listen and, and to anyone else out there to listen. Uh, thank you very much. Appreciate it.